0: At LuckyLandSlots.com,
1: available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And one of the things we've been doing over the past few weeks is trying to rate presidential horses. We've sort of done an NCAA bracket, if you will, <laughs> and we've gone through and we've had these hypothetical debates about which horse would win a hypothetical race, and we're down to the final four.
0: Lincoln acquires a horse in 1849, and horses, of course, are the main mode of transportation in Lincoln's time, so none of this should be surprising. And as a lawyer in Springfield traveling around circuit, he's going to need a carriage horse that can get him around. So he purchases Old Bob. The reason that they call him Old Bob is to separate him from his son, who at this time would be Young Bob, Bob Robert Lincoln. Old Bob replaced Lincoln's former horse, Old Buck. So you can kind of see the convention here that he adopted. You know, we don't know much about the horse. There's a statue of him at the soldier's home in Washington, D.C., where Lincoln spent a lot of his time as resting as president. It was kind of his little Camp David, but much closer. When uh, Lincoln becomes president in 1860, they sell it to a drayman in Springfield, but in 1865. When Richmond, the Confederate capital, is conquered, Old Bob is brought. Uh, he's an older horse now. He's not really pulling carriages anymore. He's out in a pasture, but he's brought to make the ceremonial journey to Richmond along with Lincoln, coated in a red, white, and blue blanket. He also will sadly participate in Lincoln's funeral. We don't know the end of Old Bob. to assume that uh, he died sometime thereafter i was interviewed recently on the intellectual property frequently podcast um i p dot 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 frequently hardy har har and uh that is david and brad look it's a business podcast uh so Definitely, if you're into intellectual property law, you're going to want to check them out. They do talk a lot of politics, too. So you're just going to get a, hey, you know, try to talk on a variety of places, people that will have me. And um, that's it. I thought they asked me some good questions. Maybe you should hear it. So I wanted to relay that on My History Can Beat Up Your Politics. We also have some good programs coming up. Don't forget about the Patreon, patreon.com slash MHCBUYP. To help support the program, get extra content. Leading the huddled masses into the safe harbor of good business practices and occasional time travel. Here are your hosts, the Sirens of Sanity, David Pritham, and L. Bradley Sheaf. Don't know much
1: about history, don't know much
0: biology. Much about
2: science books. I don't think anyone can argue that is an outstanding song. You're probably wondering to yourself, you know, why, why did we pick wonderful world? Well, he tells us right off the bat, that being Terrence Trent Darby, who did record that in the eighties, but obviously was a cover of the immortal Sam cook who initially recorded in 1960. The opening line is don't know much about history. And if that's true of you, you're going to enjoy this week's podcast.
1: That's right, Brad, because we have Bruce Carlson uh, of the My History Can Beat Up Your Politics podcast. And we're very excited to learn a little bit about what history can tell us about what's happening today and more importantly, what's going to happen tomorrow. Right on. Bruce, do you want to say a little something about your podcast and and what
0: you're doing sure. these days? Sure. My History Can Beat Up Your Politics is a podcast available on you know, Apple Podcasts and all, all, the, all the places. Uh, and uh, we use history to elevate, hopefully, the politics of today, political discussion, ele- elevate and inform, provide a little context, a little backstory, and to look at some mysteries. Sometimes we do repair work on some of the history, too, because uh, sometimes it needs it. And We tell a lot of stories and hopefully have some fun.
1: I think the first thing we want to talk about is is the concept of history repeating itself, right? Because we're mm-hmm. now uh, seeing that we're you know a divided country. We're mm-hmm. seeing politics really ending friendships and mm-hmm. uh, people that are so bitterly divided. What, what do you think about that? Does does is it is it cyclical? Does history just continue to repeat
0: itself? I think uh, I I love the uh, it's misattributed to uh, Mark Twain, but it's the line about uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes because it's never, you know, one hundred percent, even doing the show that we do, I often have to point out there are new events in history and, and you have new types of politicians that come on the scene. Boy, did we ever recently, but it's not the first. I mean, um, and uh, and so uh, particularly that question about the intensity or the uh, bitterness of politics or people being partisan and divided, you know what, though? It's almost always been the case. And um, one thing that's really clear to me, the more I study, say, the late 19th uh, century in America and our politics is that if you take away Republican and Democrat because the Democrats were getting quashed um, nationally and uh, in, in not winning too many presidential elections, you just had Grover Cleveland for the whole uh, second half of um Of the 20th century, if you take away Republican versus Democrat and you look at what really was the partisan politics at the time, which was intra Republican, bitter, bitter fighting. James Blaine and Roscoe Conkling, like, you know, once you disagreed with Conkling in a kind of a smart way, smart aleck way, let's say on the floor of the Congress, you never talk to him again. I mean, him, Conkling, and Blaine were two leaders of the Republican Party and would not speak to each other after an encounter in the 1860s. And the one comment I'll always make is, as since the presidency was created, there's only been about two or three elections where it wasn't actively contested by two very powerful and you know, populated parties uh, who wanted that office desperately. It's always been contested. You know, in general, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot, while there are a lot of extremes, there's also a lot of uh, moderation. And hopefully, uh, American democracy still is a good example for the rest of the world, still better than other systems being tried. Certainly, um, certainly better than 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 a lot of countries have.
2: Yeah, Bruce, I'm glad to hear you say that because I think you're exactly right, right? I mean, I I think that not only have we sort of been here before in terms of, you know, just the heated, divisive nature of politics, uh, but I also believe in the system, right? I mean, one of the great things about a democracy is, you know, so long as you have faith that that democracy is being sort of well implemented in terms of there being free elections and properly counting the votes and all those sorts of things, that with a democracy, you get what you deserve, right? I mean, you get what you vote for. And at least in my experience, uh, both David and I are, are um, in our early 50s, as David will immediately jump in and tell you, yes, I am two years older. Uh, but you know we've been around long enough to have seen the pendulum swing. And it seems like the American electorate you know, tends to... Look at what who's in power. Decide they're a bunch of clowns. Kind of vote the other way next time. That pendulum swings back. It tends to swing a little too far. The American electorate then looks at that and goes, "Well, geez, that's not what we want either." Votes the other way next time, and we sort of always wind up, you know, kind of swinging back and forth through the middle. And I think we're likely to see that again. I mean, in my opinion, the Democrats, you know, having control of of both houses of Congress and the White House have done what both parties have tended to do when they're in that situation. They've overplayed their hand. They've, you know, taken their arguments to the extreme. You know, if you're in that position, you have this unique opportunity to be reasonable and to show the American electorate that you can lead and that you can stay focused on the important. And of course, no one's ever done that. And I think the Democrats are are not doing that again. I think, you know, the fact that suddenly Dr. Zeus is you know the root of all evil is kind of an example of that i'm just wondering you know not only what your opinion is on that if you think that's true but also for folks who tend to be moderate and this extremism you know sort of startles them or scares them about the future of the system you know what you might recommend them reading to kind of get a sense of the fact that hey we've been here before this is sort of the american way and you know it does not herald the doom of america
0: it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clap a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, I mean, I'm a Richard Rorty fan. Um, you know, that is a little... A little lefty of the intellectuals but lefty lefty center um there's a great one um of course and you know i'm not not quite remembering it it'll come to me but it's about uh america and it's uh um we we deserving our country i believe is the uh is something like that it's almost worthy of a look up okay i'm coming in from the editing booth that book is Achieving Our Country by Richard Rorty. I read a snippet from Achieving Our Country at the end of the Ronald Reagan series. And I would never, um, cite any philosopher and make them the be all or end all of, of all discussion or anything like that. I just think, um, I like, those who ask interesting questions and pose some suggested answers and particularly for people who are progressive or on the left. Um, and you want to think about how to fit those ideas into some rational spear um, in modern times. I think that Rorty does, Rorty gives you an interesting perspective. There's all kinds of critiques of him out there. He, his entire life was spent uh, arguing with other professors and philosophers via email about his theories. Here's something I thought about recently. Why do people spend all this time on the news? It changes every day. The name that you're hearing about that you don't hear about them three days later. Um, You should cover the news. News should be digested. And it's just another thing that I think we're still adjusting to technologies. You know, when TV first came out, the first Senate candidate to come up with, um, TV ads, was a fellow in Connecticut, and uh, he just won his election that way. But that didn't work after a certain period of time. Like a new technology needs to be adjusted to. We're still kind of figuring out the social media. We're, We're making it like the epicenter of all our lives. And we need to start like digesting more like, okay, what's the news of the of the past couple of days? And also people should consider their history diet along with their news diet. Why aren't they reading more history than they are news? I don't understand it because the one sticks around a little longer, you know, but the news to me, while I understand it's important, but I sometimes have to go on other podcasts to find out what the news is or, and especially when the news is simply something a columnist said today or some opinion that somebody had and it changes all the time. Um, You know, I'm thinking of. Thomas Friedman's, uh, you know, 11 takes on the Iraq war during that time. That was the big joke. So you see that that there's a lot of uh, back and forth. Uh, and uh, you saw it in 2020 that Americans have the ability to correct their elections. We also have the ability to correct at the state and local level. You do have to be careful, though, if some harmful things that I see. And certainly when some of the post-election practices, I, I certainly didn't like, I don't like like trying to jam things into a like one canvassing board in a certain city like that, you got to watch those things because then we might not have the democracy where those type of normal changes happen. Yeah, yeah. so what's, what's interesting
1: to me is the, is the using history to form comparisons to try to predict the future and, and and just sort of to to, you know, juxtapose one historical figure against another. And so mm-hmm. with Trump, there's that um, natural comparison to Andrew Jackson. What do you what do you think yeah. about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that fits. There's some things that don't. Um, there's some things that don't. Well, Jackson uh, didn't have a, a Twitter feed. So that's one. But can you imagine immigration, huge supporter of immigration, huge supporter of you're naturalized as an American when you arrive here and you become an American as his as his uh, ancestors did wouldn't have liked any kind of policy of restriction and and there were political benefits to Jackson as well for that immigration so let's not kid ourselves a little bit there but um and that's that's true of all these presidents that we now don't like like Franklin Pearson Buchanan like, uh, supporters of immigration so different from him on that policy um low tariff man Jackson, low tariff man would be the, low tower for the entire Democratic Party. Um, he Trump takes the policy of oddly enough for some, I guess, you know, uh, Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt, which would be high tariff, um, protect American industry, keep out. Uh, um, foreign industries, but also that increases prices for Americans. And those who uh, are buyers rather than makers didn't like it very much. Jackson would have been a low tariff guy, fought strenuously for it. On the other hand, he's a populist. And he, you know, just from his inauguration, when they had this huge spillover crowd at the White House, I mean, he was the president of the people. So Trump, by his own admission, wanted that image. He put him up in the White House. Um, but then there's this whole set of things that comes with jackson like the uh cherokee removal that are uh, very negative um and um and so you know if you do now if you put up jackson and right in 2017 in the white house you're also making that statement or making a statement by not making one that it doesn't matter and there's a lot of it. Like I heard a host call it reverse virtue signaling, and that's exactly what I think it is. I think a lot of it is like, hey, I don't have to care about that, the Cherokee removal. I'm putting up Jackson's thing anyway. We do have to worry though. I will. I will say like I got. I remember getting a bad review early on because I talked about reading old books. And what I like about books is they don't change, right? You can't can't go in and rip out the pages and change the book. It's the book. Um, I worry a little bit about the web. I think most of, a lot of the web is still extant. I don't think all of it's changing, but I do like to use old books. I have to point out where sometimes they're biased or wrong, you know, Um, or they're, uh, I was doing one on the reconstruction and I used James Ford Rhodes. I had to point out that he's very biased. He doesn't like the reconstruction. He wanted it to end and bring white government back in the South. But on the other hand, here he is talking about how terrible this particular massacre of African-Americans was. So you've got to like, you know, we need those. We need all the voices um, because we will lose something. But you never get around a little bit of, um It really changed like since the 90s has been a lot of more cultural interpretation. Some of it's good. Like we we study more than we ever did about Native Americans in in the right way. That's good. Is it does it mean that you can no longer talk about, you know, Jefferson, right? Or or Jefferson's father, who was in Virginia making maps and working with those uh, Indian tribes early on like. I'm Jane Perlez Do we no longer care about certain stories? I so I think it's like you have to, and you have to have the polyhedra of views and read a lot. And uh um it's it's a tough, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that things could get too far. I do wonder if we're there yet. I also get wary of if somebody like I get wary of too much political correctness. I also get wary of somebody who might be making a career out of um, hey. I'm outraged every day by some new PC thing. You know, I don't like that either. Um, and I, and I wary of both things. I think so, most people are. So, so Bruce, one one thing we do on our show
1: each week is we have a, a, a little segment we call time machine. Right. And that's where one mm-hmm. of us goes back in time, usually Brad. Um, and you send them to some pivot point in history and have a discussion about, <laughs> uh, have a discussion about what you would do or what you could do to to, to change history. And it's a fun little thing, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, everything from the JFK assassination to, you know, uh, to biblical times. And so as a, as a student of history, if, if you could go back, um, to one
0: event, you know, where would you go and what would you do? If there's just one, I want to be in the constitutional convention folks, you know, I want to be there to be in Philadelphia with the green room, with the chairs, um, but um, time period, I'm really intrigued by the 1920s. I feel like yeah. it's the modernizing. It's the decade between the America we know and the one that we don't. It's the modernizing decade to where if you start going to the 1890s, it's kind of modernizing, too. But there's a lot there that we're not even going to understand. Well, the 20s starts to feel pretty. Yeah, I guess we got cars, we got airplanes, we got uh, trucks, we got you know schools, buildings. You got, Cal- you got Calvin Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge, you yeah. know, the <laughs> radio. More Let me step in from the editing booth once again. This happens sometimes in interviews, so you don't always hear the question or answer it. Uh, I answered what would be like a nifty or cool time to visit, and of course, the Constitutional Convention is it. But um, the other question was, what would you change? And if I was there at the Constitutional Convention, this will be controversial. Hey, you're going to have your own opinions about it. I'm not going to list like 20 changes to the Constitution because that's a process. And that's something that's been worked out over American history. But I would simply revisit the amending process. I think that the people in that convention were biased against changing the Constitution in any way. They didn't want a Bill of Rights. They didn't want uh, another constitutional convention. They didn't want the state legislatures nitpicking. I get it. So what you have is a document that's really biased against change. Three-fourths of the legislature after a, a tough congressional vote is really a high standard to amend the Constitution. And Government should be for the president. So how I would balance those two competing things, because you can also make the opposite case that it should be tough to change a constitution. And I would say this. I like how in American history, we're sort of forced by this mechanism to have presidential elections every four years, no matter what. Congressional elections every two years, no matter what. So add in another no matter what. Every 25 years. There's an automatic constitutional convention. I would still have a high bar, but I would make it two-thirds. So the states meet every 25 years. There's an opportunity to change the constitution. It is two-thirds of the state legislatures that have to agree To a change in the document. And that way you're getting something that's a little more relevant. But still difficult to change. You want to um, meet me halfway? Fine. Keep it three-fourths. But just make the introduction of constitutional amendments something more automatic. Like the result of uh, state constitutional conventions that are automatic at 25-year intervals. And then still keep the three-fourths for passing them. Because it's really hard to pass constitutional amendments. We've had very few. Last one's 1992, and it's something that was started in the 1700s, uh, that 27th Amendment. Um, The other, because I can't just pick one. There's so many moments in time that you'd like to change. I would really um, would love to be able to change something involving Reconstruction and Andrew Johnson and... I think if you were able to give African-American people a chance with an extended reconstruction and federal protection and Freedmen's Bureau period in the 19th century, America would be a much better place. Yeah, again, my opinion, that's what what ifs are about. That's what they are. (laughs) And here's another question. So one thing we've
1: been we, we debate a little bit about are. Um, we find these little quirky things in history and we talk about them. And one of the things we've been doing over the past few weeks is trying to rate presidential horses, right? (laughs) Now, I know that it sounds a little out there, but people love it. And so we've sort of done an NCAA bracket, if you will. (laughs) And we've gone through and we've had these hypothetical debates about which horse would win a hypothetical race. And we're down to the final four. And the final four are... um, uh, George Washington had a horse named Magnolia. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, um, uh, Let's see. Uh, Jefferson had a horse named Car Catechus. Uh, Abe Lincoln had his horse Old Bob. Old Bob, and, yeah. And there's a horse that um, uh, William Henry Harrison rode in his ill-fated inaugural, right? <laughs> a white horse that... No one they people call it old whitey, but that's actually the name of Zachary Taylor's horse. So they they there have been articles written about how people don't know the name of that horse. And actually a fun fact about that inauguration was John Quincy Adams was there and he said just the look. On the face of that horse sent a, a, a chill down his spine it was the meanest looking horse he had ever seen <laughs> and so you know th- those are our four top four you know final four horses do you have any
0: good uh presidential horse stories <laughs> not sure i do not i'm not thinking of a of a, um president's horse okay um uh i believe it was james monroe who got into a little bit of trouble um, for accepting a horse from the king of Spain because of the uh, emoluments clause. so uh that's uh yep, that was James Monroe um, sort of his uh, checkers moment. Yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> he and we're and we're keeping it. Uh, but uh he, he uh, yeah, he there was there was no scandal though with that one. Uh, he just, I think he you know, Congress generally has been like the little gifts are okay. Watch the big stuff. But um, I do favor Jefferson's horse in that race, by the way, because uh, I think that uh, he gave it a good workout. I got Washington did too, but uh, Jefferson was a pretty much going to be a daily rider. Um, I don't ride horses, but I understand it's good exercise. It certainly was for these people. That's what Reagan Reagan loved it. Reagan loved it. Oh yeah. That and chopping the wood. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Chop, chop. Uh, But, um, you know, I, this is what they did. Uh, this is how they kept fed. Uh, a lot of horse uh, walking and, you know, they weren't necessarily doing Pilates. Now, Roosevelt just started to get again into that closer to that modernizing period where he's doing the he's doing the calisthenics and the shadow boxing. And boxing in the in the White House, right? Yeah, and beating up people. and uh,
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Well, Bruce, this has been this has been great. We, we appreciate you uh, joining and, and and talking about some of the very important uh, um, aspects of history that sort of give us a little insight into what's happening today and what could happen uh, uh, tomorrow. Maybe you could give our listeners uh, another plug uh, about your podcast and where we can find you in
0: the uh, uh, land of podcasts. Oh, sure, and thanks for having me on. It's uh, www dot Dot com uh you know if you you can type my history can beat up your politics into google or go on apple podcasts and and um and which just we've been doing it since 2006 um my joke is that's when you know uh we had like two cups in the string, you know for podcasts, but it I did do a phone upload by the way, so it might I'm becoming historic myself um so it's been around a long time. I'm pleased to have a lot of fans um and if you like history and politics in a combination then uh, definitely yeah please check me out
2: well Bruce uh, certainly we're big fans and we can tell everybody you know listening here that if if you have any interest in history or if you even if you haven't in the past, but the, you know, the, the things that are going on in our country today are causing you concern or you'd like to understand the historical basis for where we've been and how we've got here, then, then we cannot recommend highly enough Bruce's podcast. So we would direct you to him. I'm sure you'll be a fan as well. And Bruce, again, we, we much appreciate you taking the time. We look forward to having you on again sometime soon in the near future on uh, IP Frequently.
0: Thanks so much. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome. Here's how you find uh, David and Brad's podcast, IP dot dot dot, frequently, HTTPS colon slash slash anchor dot FM slash ip hyphen frequently or twitter at ip underscore frequently check them out you know there if you go to the at my hist twitter i'm going to have a link to uh where i'm on on their show if you want to check them out all you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the this day in history podcast Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History, wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History, wherever you get your podcasts.